On this episode of the Resurrection Church Podcast, Josh and I are going to talk about our differing interpretations of a text in Mark 12, and then we're going to discuss an issue of spiritual abuse as we hear Jesus speaking to the religious elites and instructing his disciples about what greatness in the kingdom actually means. So there are times where, believe it or not, pastors disagree about how to interpret the Bible, and church members disagree about how to interpret the Bible. And some texts are maybe more important to agree on than others, um, but other texts are still significant in the way that we'd interpret them and apply them. And Josh and I recently came across a text where we look at it slightly differently, and I thought it would be good for us to talk about it. Um, on the one hand, just because I think it's an interesting conversation, but then on the other hand, because I think it illustrates that while we sometimes look for what the plain reading of the text <laughs> is, you and I, Josh, would both say that our interpretation is a plain, like, it just totally makes sense, and how could you see it any differently, right? Right, right. I think we would agree on that. Yeah, we'd agree <laughs> that we disagree, and we <laughs> both think that our interpretation is just Patently Plain, obvious, right. and how could somebody miss it? And um, I, I think this is just a, a reminder that um, we we might not always be able to come to agreement on something, but that doesn't mean that the foundation of our faith is shaken or something like that, mm-hmm. or um, that there's the the best thing is for us to agree about everything. And in fact, I think is we've been able to spend some time like going back and forth on this. And I think it's it's a good thing to do. And, and it's made me think about scripture a little bit more deeply. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm sure you, you would say the same. Yes. So the text in question is Mark 12, 41 through 44. And this text is often referred to as the widow and her mites or something like that. I think that's probably how the King James translated the coinage there. Um, but I'm going to read this text and then um, Josh is giving me the privilege of giving my <laughs> interpretation first, and then and then he's going to, I think, uh, follow up with a different interpretation, and uh, we'll talk about how the different interpretations would come to bear in, in application. Right. But the text starts in Mark 12, 41, where Jesus is sitting across from the temple treasury. He watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. Now, there, there are two major ways of interpreting this. So I recently read a journal article that listed, I think, five or six interpretations of this text. So actually, mm-hmm. as plain as we might think it is, it's, it's a pretty debated text. Um, and in my view, as I look at this text, I, I think that Jesus is just outrightly condemning the scribes. So in the earlier (laughs) section, he's pointed out the scribes and their hypocrisy and their leveraging of the religious system for their own gain. 
And, and I think an interesting piece there in verse 40, he says, they devour widows' houses. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you start to have this widow connection where scribes are, whatever that means to devour a widow's house, we know that it's doing damage to the widow. And, right. and they've been pulled into the religious system in one way or another, and the scribes are exercising some kind of authority such that they can be described as devouring widows' houses. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. when we get to the next verses... I, I look at these texts as an illustration of what Jesus just commented on. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so then the rich people would equal the scribes, and this poor widow would equal the, uh, the widows who are described as having their houses devoured. And so when I read a text with this text, I, I kind of look at it and say, Jesus is primarily targeting the scribes and, and saying, you guys are messed up um, and what it's costing you to support this religious system is nothing. But look at the people you're devouring. So there's this widow who puts in all that she has. And I think Jesus is just neutrally commenting and in, in explaining how much more it costs her, even though she put less money in. But it's the same system that, that crushes and devours widows' houses is doing the exact same thing here. And so then the, the outcome of that would be not to apply this text in terms of be like the widow. I think Jesus is lamenting what this what is happening to this widow, and he's he's pitying her, um, and and I think he's just saying this system is so bad that it's devouring widows' houses. It's taking all that they have to live on, and so then in the next few verses, of course, his disciples still haven't gotten the message, and so he very forthrightly says this this temple that's connected to the temple treasury that was just referenced earlier with this widow's mites, it's going down. I'm, I'm tearing this thing down and this whole system's go, going to pot. Um, and so so I look at the widow and I feel sad for her. <laughs> and, and I sort of say, she's being abused. She's a victim of the system. And, and then I would look at the text primarily as a con, com, condemnation mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. scribe, not a commendation of the widow. And and then I think the the final piece that's interesting here, which this is different than I think the Luke account. Mark tacks on, you know, all she had to live on or her whole life, mm-hmm. I think is more mm-hmm. literal. And and I think what Jesus is prefiguring is um my life is gonna be taken by the same system. I I am going to be had by the system. And of course, he does it in a redemptive way. He does mm, something mm-hmm. the widow could never do, which is to bring life through death. And, and even in other texts where Jesus is raised from the dead, you know, in John, it talks about, you know, I'll destroy this temple in three days, build it up. There's mm-hmm, always some mm-hmm, connection, I right. think, there. And, and I think that figures in as well. Um, but But I just look at it all and say, don't be like the widow, you know, don't be duped, get out of the system. Uh, Jesus provides a better way. And um, that is different, though, than than the way you look at yes. it, Josh. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I just want to start by saying that th- there's a lot that we, we agree on, Aaron, and that is there is the coming destruction of the temple and everything there with the corrupt leaders. And I do think Mark inserts this here to even bring further judgment on the scribes and the religious leaders at large. But that's that's not all I would say is happening here with the mm-hmm. widow. I, I think there's more that we're missing. And so you you rightly struck on the theme of temple destruction and judgment upon Israel's leaders. All of that's right and good. But I think 
you're missing the theme of discipleship, and I think this is where mm. where we kind of perhaps rub each other the wrong way a bit. Um, but I think by looking at this text first and evaluating Mark uh, as a whole, I think it's good to note that every time, this is interesting, every time we see a woman, I've mentioned this to you, they're mentioned in a positive light as examples to follow. And you can rebut me here, that's, that's totally fine. But let's just talk about this for a moment. The woman with the element of blood in chapter 5, the Syrophoenician woman with the demon-possessed child in chapter 7, the woman with an alabaster jar that she pours on Jesus, probably costing her literally everything mm-hmm. that she has in chapter 14. And I think even just the poor in general are lifted up as examples by Jesus and in a positive light, not even a neutral, but a positive light. And so all of that, I think, really already predisposes us to view this poor widow here not in a neutral or negative light, but in a, a positive one. And of course, you, you probably disagree to a certain degree here on the poor widow, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I I think what those people have in common is not so much that they're women and not even so much that they're poor, though certainly I think there are themes of the poor being uh, pointed to as those who come to Jesus more easily. I think what the, the individuals have in common that you mentioned is that they um, they they connected to Jesus. And, and not only did they connect to Jesus, but also Jesus said really positive things about them. So I think about this woman in Mark 14, you know, when she's being criticized for, you know, wasting this perfume, Jesus replies to them and says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a noble thing. And Mm -hmm, I think in mm -hmm. almost every interaction that Jesus has with people whose actions are to be commended as discipleship models, receive a a commendation from Jesus either by word or by explicit action. Mm -hmm, So like mm -hmm. blind Bartimaeus who, who follows after Jesus. But again, it's a connection with Jesus and I didn't take the time to read all of Mark, and so maybe you have a counterexample, but I just can't think of another person in Mark who we're supposed to emulate in our discipleship who didn't connect to Jesus and who wasn't explicitly praised by Jesus, either as having great faith or doing something noble or or a positive word given towards sure. them. Sure. And all I was going to say to that is I think this is just highlighting our, our disagreement again with this poor widow, because I think it is an a positive thing Jesus is saying about her. She gave more than anyone else. And whereas you look at that as a, a pitiful thing, oh, wow, mm-hmm. she gave everything. I think Jesus is saying, this is a she's doing everything that I've been talking about. Render unto God what is God's. He just said that in the previous context. He said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here we find this widow, I think, as a positive example, striving to do that doing exactly what the the religious leaders at large are failing to do, and by her righteousness, despite being a very poor widow, striving to do this within a broken system, it's just highlighting the judgment that God's Mm going to give to the scribes who should have really known better. Yeah, so I think in our disagreement, there are two major pieces. One is that you are assuming that she is giving with good motivation out of a desire to love God, Mm-hmm. where I'm assuming she is just kind of blindly part of the system. Right, right. And we're both, I think we'd both say, yeah, you have to kind of make an assumption. You do, you do. 
And and you would suggest Mark has prepared us to read that positively, mm-hmm. where I'm suggesting we should read it pitiably, as right. if we should be sad for her. Right. And then I think the second piece is the way that we would hear in our head Jesus saying <laughs> the last yeah. verse. Because you kind of read it with like a positive, like higher view, like for they gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put everything she had, mm-hmm, all she mm-hmm. had to live on. Where I'm kind of reading like that's a bad those thing. Yeah. skunks gave out of their surplus, and and look at this victim. Mm-hmm. They they convinced her to give everything that she had. Where it's not positive, it's not condemning her as being sinful, but it is pitying her and and lamenting her. And again, with the assumptions we're making, you're you're assuming that she's she's being convinced to give everything that she had. This is free will offerings mm-hmm. that they're they're giving into. This is out of the free will of the people. And I think that alone tells us this widow is doing this out of her free will, out of a desire to really love God. She's not being coerced. The text doesn't give us that impression, in my opinion. Whereas maybe yeah. you, you would view it otherwise. Yeah, I think I would view it otherwise because I think religious systems have a way of designating free will things is not really being free will things. And I think the Pharisees had a way of doing this with their extra laws that that are free will to do, kind of. Uh, but if you don't do them, you're you're a bad person, right? And I think you like like Corban or Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the picture that we get from the scribes is that they are getting people to like they they are spiritually abusing these people. And so I could see a, a poor widow in this system, even in a category of the system that's a free will thing, it not actually being a free will thing on a socio level, like on a social level. Yeah. yeah, to where it's like you're an outsider if you don't do this. And I think we've all experienced different things where like something's optional, but it's not really optional, you know, whether mm. that's at work or at church, you know, like mm. um, sometimes we can have our church life in such a way that we're like, yeah, participating in the giving campaign is optional, but if you <laughs> don't, um, maybe you don't love God, you know, and, and we should avoid saying that. And I think that's maybe it's a part of our situation because we're in that phase where I'm like, I don't want us to to be the scribes and crush the poor in our church. Right, right. And so I wouldn't use this as a good example for somebody, even though we're ta- we'd be talking about a free will type of giving. So that brings us into how we would apply this text, given our various interpretations. So maybe you could mm, share a couple mm-hmm. of the ways that you would apply this text, and then I'll share a few ways that I would apply uh, it. Right. But going back even before that, I don't even know if I've entirely covered the contrast that's going on here between okay. the two. If you don't mind me going there yeah, quickly let's see first. That. So you're looking at this as mainly further condemnation being brought, a, a, a very pitiful, sad, very thing that we're looking at here. So what I, I think Jesus is doing here is is really contrasting genuine faith that this widow is expressing by giving all that she has to God. She's trusting him. She's putting her faith in him that should, he'll meet her needs versus really the unbelief of the scribes, which is expressed as they exploit their office for their own financial gain. You see this widow with faith working through love, and then the scribes on the other hand, which is a hollow religion of unbelief. And so, again, I think it's ironic that this poor widow who, like we've already mentioned, is being taken advantage of by these scribes, is doing what is pleasing in God's sight 
in contrast with the scribes who should have known much better than her as they were experts in the law and, and the Torah. And so the fact that the widow gets it and the experts don't is really highlighting the condemnation of the religious elites and bringing further judgment, which I, I think that flows right into the temple coming down in the next chapter. Mm-hmm. So that that's all I wanted to, yeah, to so, say Yeah, so why don't you then talk about how you would apply this text? Um, because I think that's where our differences will be seen a little bit more with the kind of where the rubber meets the road on this. Sure, sure, yep. I, I think... God desires self-sacrificial giving from a heart that truly loves him. You give in faith and love to God. This counts more in God's eyes than those who give when it literally costs them nothing out of their their surplus, like the rich that we see here. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, in contrast to the scribes, God doesn't desire giving for self-promoting reasons. That's exactly what these scribes were doing. They were giving not out of a heart of love for God, but out of a heart for human praise and the approval of man. So we shouldn't be giving to God to get something. Uh, we should be giving out of a true desire for him and who he truly is. And uh, part of the application I didn't hit on, which we're going to talk about here, is also the condemnation of the scraps. They're devouring widows' houses. So I think that is equally applicable. Yeah. Um, and as we get into this, nobody cares, but there's a dog <laughs> who is like jumping up at Josh right now. And it's my dog, so I feel a little <laughs> bad about that. But yeah, so I, um, as as I would go to apply this text, well, as I respond to your application, I think those are all true things. And I think on the give sacrificially thing, I would draw that from other texts, like the Mark fourteen, sure, um, or or other places. So. So I wouldn't say your application is unbiblical. I would well, just that's good. <laughs> I would just look for it in other texts of scripture and not that one because right. I think it it lifts the attention away from what I think Jesus is doing. So that leads to how I I think I would apply the text. <laughs> right. And uh I think the first level of application would or response to it would be a warning to those who would look to use a religious system to to gain authority mm-hmm. and power, and and I think you would agree with right. that one. Um, I and then I think along with that, there's there's a condemnation and a warning against those who, on the in their abuse of a religious system for their own selfish gain, are crushing others <laughs> along the way. And, you know, in the earlier text, it's described as devouring women. And then I think it, well, widows' houses. And, and then in this one, I, I think it's just illustrated with this widow giving. Mm-hmm. So so that would be the primary application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at the secondary level of application that I would make more specifically to our church would be to say, those of you who desire to be elders or deacons like it or whatever, or to serve our church in a particular way, if, if you start to feel something in your heart that is distorting what should be an act of service into an act of self-gratification, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you are more like the scribes than what than Jesus. And, and that's a problem, obviously. Right, right. And, and then the final piece, I think, pastorally, third level, would be to tell somebody, if you start to see us as pastors doing this, and, and you're the widow whose house is being devoured or, or who's giving all that you have to support pastors who are devouring the flock, 
you should you should mm-hmm. confront us, but you should leave that church. And and so if someone came to our church who was saying, Man, our our pastors are like just spiritually abusing like you'd want to look into these sorts of mm-hmm. things as you give counsel, mm-hmm. of course. But I think we would not we would use a text like this to say Jesus was not happy that the widow was giving all that she had to this. And and we think you need to get out of that situation. So so I think that's a level of application that um, I think in practice you and I would agree with because I think mm-hmm. you would say if someone showed up at our church and told us, God, I think to love God, I should give you everything in my bank account out mm-hmm. of a free mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. I think we tell them don't do that. that well, that's not um, truly loving God. I, that's missing the principle here completely from the way I view this text. And and I guess that's where I always mm-hmm. I have a... a trouble understanding mm-hmm, the other interpretation mm-hmm. is because it seems to me that's exactly what's going on. There's someone coming, giving the last of their money right. out of a love for God. Mm-hmm. And, but she's not being coerced or being told that's the only way you can love God. It, that's just yeah, her way. Sure. And, and I'm not saying that's that's not going to be applied equally across the board, just like the command to the rich man to sell sure, all that he has. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? That yeah, doesn't but, apply But that if way. someone came to our church and said, hey, I know this isn't the only way to love God, mm-hmm. but I want to love God by giving the church the rest of the money that I have. Um, mm. I think we discourage that. Um, I don't think we'd commend it. And even if they reference this text in there saying, I just want to be like the widow. And I know God's not demanding that of me, but I, I think I can love him that way. I think we would tell them, you should not not proceed in this way. You, you shouldn't drain your bank account to to fund our church. Mm-hmm. Because you have to look at the outworkings of that. What's that going to do to others around you when you have nothing then? Mm-hmm. You're going to have to rely on others around you. And so I think there's a lot that can be said there. You have to talk more sure. with that person about their situation and why they would do that. Um, that'd be hard yeah. just to narrow down to one thing. So let me ask you a question mm-hmm. to lean into this a little bit sure. further, because I think this is a big sticking point for me, because I think I've heard of this text being abused that way of mm. give all that you have to our giving campaign or what else. Sure. And I didn't apply it that way. No, as you, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't. Um, if, if you could transport yourself back in time mm-hmm. and Jesus and his disciples walk away after observing this. Mm. And you have the opportunity to say something to that widow. What do you tell her? If 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 I'm transported all the way back in time, yeah, to this widow, yeah, right after after Jesus had just commended her from my point of view. Yeah, from your point of view, how in in this woman goes up to you and says, I now have nothing. How should I continue to love God? Like, yeah, like how would yeah, you relate to right. her? Because that's where I see the parallels with sure. the situation I described. Yeah. Well, in in the Jewish, well, I have to go back and I, I can't quote off. I'm sure. going off the top of my head. There was supposed to be an offering given during, I believe, Passover that would supply the widow's needs. It was for the mm. widows and those who are downcast and out. And that's what should have been happening here for those destitute so that they could eat, thrive, and okay. continue on in life. So there was something there in place for them, though I don't know if it was occurring at this time. I have to double check that. Okay. So I mean, to do a one-for-one application where they're in the Jewish system and the law, and there was there was things in place to help them. I, I don't think you can directly translate that to sure. here today. I mean, we have our welfare system, of course. Yeah. But. So, so would you think that churches should have systems where 
widows can be fully cared for financially and otherwise so that they can follow an example of this widow. I I think, well, for one, James 1 tells us that true religion before God the Father is this, to Mm -hmm. care for widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So to care for the widow is absolutely something that the church is, is called to. How, how should we be doing this at Resurrection Church? Or what yeah, are some yeah. ways that we could improve in this? You right, know, I think obviously right. we have deacons who we would task sure, with practical sure. things. I think we have a hospitality fund or a deacon's fund that mm-hmm. can sometimes be used. Um, but mm-hmm. I wonder if there even needs to be a structured way of doing this or if it's just more of a through relationship and knowledge and, and yeah. that well, sort I think of path. That's exactly the route you go. You need to know the situation of the widow, what they're struggling with, where we can meet their needs. And of course, we know that's going to differ from widow to widow. Not mm-hmm. every widow is going to be poor and destitute. Maybe they had like a million dollar life insurance. I yeah. mean, we, yeah. we, there's just things we don't know. Different world. Right, yeah. right. So I think that's why it's hard to just go from one to one. Sure. And to do that, I think, is to to miss a lot of the cultural context. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've hashed out at least where our differences lie. <laughs> well, a lot of it, yes. Um, and, and there are obviously other pieces that we could get into here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think we'd both be in agreement um, that we should not leverage a text like this over people. Oh, absolutely In not. terms of saying, um, you, you should just do what the widow did. No, um, no we, we would not that. encourage that. Um, but I, th- I think perhaps more importantly, it's, I think, kind of just good to hash out some of these <laughs> things. But when we look at this text in, in the passages that precede it as a whole, I think we're both in agreement that Jesus's primary goal is, is to c- give words of condemnation to the scribes in, in the abuse of this temple system and sort of the dead faith that goes along with it. If if you want to put that in there, I, I don't know how much of this is actually about belief and unbelief. I know <laughs> you put an emphasis on True that. True but, yeah. but I think we, you know, we'd say the emphasis is on Jesus condemning as he clears the temple and as he condemns the scribes and he gives a warning to those in religious authority on one level mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. another. And, and even in away shows that these religious authorities will take his life. Um, mm-hmm. So as we think about the way that religious authorities abuse their positions, um, how, how should we be thinking about that? You, in yeah, your sermon, yeah. commented on this some, but I thought perhaps more it, it would be good for us to maybe comment more explicitly because I think right. something, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if spiritual abuse happens more now than it used to, or if it's just more publicized and, yeah, and more... Yeah you know, common through social media and other places mm-hmm. to hear of mm-hmm. spiritual abuse. But it seems to me that it's a regular thing that I'm reading about in the news or just anecdotally hearing yeah, people talk yeah. about. Did you want to talk about specific examples? Or? If you have some. Well, I mean, I think most recently, most people know Ravi Zacharias, and I think we talked about this at length for some time, but how we should respond, we should, I think, condemn it and and speak um, of Jesus's words of judgment upon those who abuse their positions of religious power. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus doesn't play around here with those scribes. They're coming down. Yep. And I mean, even in the parable preceding, uh, right before this, about um, about what the owner of the vineyard's going to do to the ones who killed his son, he's saying he's going to wipe them out. He's going to destroy these people who who have oppressed others. And so I think we have to speak very harshly against those who abuse and be be sad and be grieved mm-hmm. 
and to really convey the seriousness of the crimes that um, people who claim to know God and love God are committing against those who who are who are vulnerable, like mm-hmm. the widow. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I think part of our cultural response to these things is good outrage. These sorts of things are is sometimes called for, but I also think that there can be this sense that we have to do something about it when we hear about these things Mm -hmm. it's almost whether emotionally or in some other way i think it just feels like well i know about this so what should i be doing and then Mm -hmm. and then the Mm -hmm. options given to us are performative words like tweet out ravi zacharias did a bad thing (laughs) right and and i think in as much as we have people who know about Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. ministry it's it's right to be able to say that was wrong right um but i think we have responsibility at, for the church we're in primarily and in with churches mm-hmm. we're in relationship to but but really i think our primary responsibility is is mm-hmm. to the church that we're a part of right and so so what are some ways that um we would look at a text like this and say we should respond um in by way, blank right, right. at resurrection church mm-hmm. um respond by maybe you already touched on it, i can't remember but setting up accountability and by that we have elders that are equal in a power and authority here to keep one another accountable mm-hmm. to to call each other out when this does happen and for the members of our congregation when we see abuses happening like this um to to be calling that person out and having um, a way for them to to call out the corruption at mm-hmm. large, so they can't continue on um, in the church. And I think establishing elders and having multiple of them is a way for check and balance, so that you don't just have one guy going off on his own and yeah. doing exactly what these these scribes were doing to the widows. Yeah, and of course, no polity system is perfect, right. and all can be corrupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just having a plurality of elders isn't the solution, no. but it's part of it maybe is you have um, accountability between each other and and I think even the way that you raise up elders to mm, to be mm-hmm. certain that your elders are not just yes men people who are right. just going to agree with whatever the current elders think on mm, every issue mm-hmm. um, but I think one thing that we really need to do then is to consider what tools the New Testament gives us to help mm-hmm. in the selection of elders and in, in those who would serve in this way that there, there could be a temptation to abuse position and authority. Mm-hmm. And what comes to mind, obviously, I think, are the, qualifications, the qualifications. Right. And so I thought I might just read a couple of verses from Titus 1 that gives mm-hmm. some of these mm-hmm. qualifications. And it, it strikes me as we think about Mark and then these qualifications that if these qualifications are genuinely there, it the the scribes wouldn't meet this True. based on Jesus's description. Right. And and I know they aren't elder like it's different things. It's not one for one, but um, yeah, yeah. But but they're religious leaders in a way. I think we can say. I I guess I don't know enough about scribes to know all of the, what their responsibility was. and um, But I think we could say the religious leaders of, of a sort mm, and mm-hmm. that perhaps in the Christian church, a close one of the closest parallels would sure, be elders. Sure. Um, but Paul writes that an elder must be blameless. And I, I think that right away is just <laughs> this overarching category that the scribes wouldn't fit into based on Jesus's declarations. Uh, but the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Then he goes on, 
again, to say, as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. So again, that big category, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money. Mm, so kind is. of listing all these things that really, I guess Jesus didn't accuse the scribes of being excessive drinkers, um, but it seems like everything else mm-hmm. would fit the scribes. But then Paul goes on to give positive qualities, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Uh, so I, I just think these taking these qualifications seriously right. is an important piece of creating a church culture where spiritual abuse is mitigated mm. as, as much as humanly and um, Holy Spirit enabledly possible. Right, right. So any any other pieces that we should think about, Josh, in the way that we would have a shared application of this text? Um, I think, I mean, that is the main overlap that we have mm-hmm. with this text. I just think it goes further than that, as I've already mentioned, but not, not, not nothing else, unless you have something. Well, I have one question that <laughs> yeah, I thought about. Sure. I was waiting for you to, to jump on this one because I talked about how Mark has this added comment you know, of, of recording Jesus saying that she gave her whole life or right, whole livelihood. Right. Mm-hmm. And I commented on that in terms of Jesus mm-hmm. w- almost saying this system that's crushing her, I my life is going to be taken by it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think about that piece? And would you look at it differently? Um, I mean, he's going to be afflicted and he's going to be robbed of his life just as this widow has been robbed perhaps of her house and her livelihood. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a parallel picture of what's going to happen to Jesus as he literally renders his life to God, whereas this widow renders all that she has, he's going to render his life to God. So I'm looking at it in a positive light there as what Jesus is going to do, not a negative one. Okay. So now I have to ask, what would it take for you to change your mind? (laughs) Um, Because Uh, I think this is an interesting question whenever people disagree on things to ask, what would it take to change your mind? And in a different right, conversation, right. I sort of shared what mine were, and I will again. Sure, so sure. Y- I think you thought they were artificial. Uh, a little bit. Okay. Um, I, I think maybe you can show me examples, Aaron, in Scripture. And I haven't thought about this. And, of course, I want to say I might change my mind one day. Who knows? And uh, hopefully you you might too, <laughs> you know. Um, but if you could sh- maybe show me examples in Scripture where somebody— you know, renders everything that they have to God, and it's counted as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I, I just have a hard time seeing what the widow's doing here in a negative light, um, or a neutral light, as you put it, sorry. Um, so maybe if you could show me in Scripture where someone's, like, sincerely trying to do that in their service to God, and it's like, that's a bad thing. If, if I could find an example where someone gave all that they had to the temple, if the text didn't to, say to, to God— because in this one it doesn't. If I found, if I could find another situation where someone was giving a ton and it was actually costing them, but not directly to God, but to a religious system, would that work? Again, I think. So let's talk about the widow's motive. Is she giving to God? And I think that's a, one of the big questions where you right. read in yes, and I read in no. Yeah, so that's that's what I think for me, anyways. Okay, I, I think she is giving to, that. I mean, maybe sure. maybe we should have talked about that point a bit more, but I think that's what's being brought up. You don't just give everything you have to God. I mean, and then be counted negative. So 
if if we're going to disagree on that point of the widow's motive, of course we're going to see um, this differently. Now, do you think the rich people were giving to God as well, or were they giving to the religious system? What Jesus points out is that they gave out of their surplus. That's that's all he says about it. And he doesn't comment on whether it's to the to God or to the system, in the same way that he doesn't with the widow, right? Again, we're re- we've already <laughs> discussed yeah. this. We're, <laughs> we're circling <laughs> back. Um, yeah. any, okay, so I'll have to look for that. Anything else that would would win you over to my side of, of the aisle on this one. <laughs> I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to think what else. That that was one that came up. I mean, it would have obviously helped if, you know, Jesus went over to those treasury boxes and just flipped them over like, you know, he did the first clearing of the temple and just said, this is not worship to God. I mean, I think that would have immediately won yeah. me over. Yeah. If <laughs> Well, I don't think that I can find an no, ancient no, no, manuscript no, no. that explicitly yeah. chain, you know, has it sure, described. Sure. I'm just saying that would have totally done it. Case sure. in point. But uh, yeah, it's hard. I have to continue to think about that. Okay. So I think I have three things that could change my mind. And, um, one of them would be if I could find other examples in the book of Mark where there are individuals who have zero interaction with Jesus other than him commenting on them who are pointed to explicitly as positive examples of discipleship. So I think the lack of connection to Jesus here is something that makes me question it. And so if, you, if, if I was directed to an example where Jesus points to someone who he doesn't explicitly you know, interact with, but they're still clearly a positive example. That would be one. Um, I think a second one would be if um, in like second temple literature, there's recording, there's a record similar to this, Mm -hmm. um, but the poor person who is contrasted with the rich, but they're explicitly praised Mm -hmm. as, you know, they, they gave everything that they had, and this was good, and we should be like them. So if there was Jewish literature that commented, especially if it were with the temple tax, um, then I think that would be the case. The final thing that I think would change my mind was if there was some kind of historical research or second temple literature that demonstrated that the temple tax really was genuinely voluntary and not just in word, (laughs) but actually socially as well to where there would have been no pressure on this widow period Mm -hmm. to give anything. Mm -hmm. And, and that one might very well be there. I just haven't studied Mark or second temple literature enough to know. I I, I didn't find much. I looked for that, that kind of information and I, there's, there's not much from my knowledge. I'm just maybe looking in the wrong places. So I need to, yeah, more investigating. I, I my think part that too. would be one of the stronger ones for me because mm-hmm. that's something where um, I I'm so reading into there's there's abuse of the system going on here, mm-hmm. and this woman is a victim. But if it were demonstrated in other literature that this temple tax nobody cared if you gave or not really, like there was no pressure to do it, then it it sort of moves her less out of that victim category a little bit. So any evidence that would start to do that, I mm. think would be helpful for me to change my mind. Mm. Sounds good. Well, I'll be looking for that. <laughs> well, this has been, I think, one of our um, most 
uh, high intensity debate podcast that we've ever had. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it was that bad. No, I don't but think so. Hopefully, it's been helpful to you just talk through a couple of these different things. And if nothing else, maybe it'll encourage you to read this text again mm. and think about what what it means. And um, of course, you'll agree with me. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Josh, I, I appreciated your sermon and glad that you were willing to chat it out here again. Mm. This podcast is a ministry of Resurrection Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. To learn more, you can visit us online at www.resurrectionmn.org.